I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 11 today. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Continuing our series this fall uh, through this book of the Bible. See if I can get this voice cranked back up. Through this book of the Bible that the Apostle Paul has written to us. And um, as we look at this book, we're looking at uh, really the midway point through our series this fall in Philippians. And as I mentioned uh, several weeks ago, we're transitioning from several key points that the Apostle Paul has made early on. Uh, First point is really dealing with the reality of the gospel as Paul is in prison as he's in this situation writing to this church of Philippi, this little church located just north of the Mediterranean off of the Aegean Sea, writing to them from his imprisonment, and he declares that to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's the first major theme of this book of Philippians. And then he deals with another one that we've looked at extensively over the last three or four weeks, and that is the reality of God's gospel work to create a heart of service and humility to unify us as believers. That's the second theme. And he talked about that in the passage where he reminded us that our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but let that go to take on the form of a servant and lay down his life for our sins, that he's the means and the model for us to walk in service and unity. So we saw that, those two major themes. Now as we move into the second half of Philippians in chapter 3, he's taking up a new theme for us, uh, in a sense filling in the blanks on a theme, I guess, that he's begun with, and that is the reality of the gospel of salvation by grace alone. By grace alone. And he wants us to see that so clearly today. And so as we turn and look at this book of Philippians, I invite you to stand with me in recognition of God's Word. I will read aloud, and you all all read along with me. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, you can read along silently. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for those evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the real circumcision who worship God by the Spirit, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reasons for confidence in the flesh, I've got more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. 
For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ, be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Let's pray again, and you may be seated as we do. Oh, Father, we praise you and thank you for your word. Be our teacher today. I do pray that you would strengthen me in my voice, that I might share your word, that we would be lifted up to you and see you during this time. Give me strength in that way, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I have to confess, I have developed a new addiction. There is a TV channel station on cable called DIY Network. It is addictive. What one used to have to dig through hours of public television telethons in order to find a one This Old House program now is on all day long. And I like one particular show on the Do-It-Yourself network in particular, and that is Rescue Renovation. Rescue Renovation. It typically shows a couple who have gotten in way over their heads in what they thought was a Do-It-Yourself project. A recent episode began with a couple who were about four months into their own project, living in the house while they were redoing their entire kitchen. And they didn't look like they were anywhere near being complete. Their frustration was welling up. You could hear it just in their voices with one another working on this. But they were about to break free into some noticeable uh, improvement, some noticeable accomplishment on this project as they hung the cabinets that day. They watched them on the show, tediously working through, putting the cabinets in place. And finally, the sweet couple stepped back, husband's shoulder around wife, and looked at what they had accomplished. The wife tilted her head after a second and looked at the husband and with a strong measure of fear and frustration said, Did we hang them upside down? Indeed, they had. The wife, as you might expect, broke into tears. The husband expressed himself some different ways that I can't repeat right here this morning. A lot of bleeps involved in that part of the show. Not everything is a DIY project, is it? Not everything is a DIY project. Now, I said it was rescue renovation. Just when you think these people have dug themselves so far in by trying to do something they really couldn't do, and in fact trying to do something that they've made worse by attempting to do it themselves, in she comes. Not quite as obnoxious as the guy on that other home renovation show, but you get the idea. She comes in. And she gives them the plan, 
to how she can help them to do this project. She's going to take it from here and make sure it gets done. As we think about our own lives, we've probably all been in a similar place with some kind of project, whether it's gardening or building a model plane or doing a home renovation project. And if it relates to your house or some hobby, or even if it's at work, or even if your project is trying to do it yourself and solve a relationship issue, it's not necessarily the end of the world to have it fall short. But when we're dealing with salvation, when we're dealing with matters of the soul and our relationship with the living God, to attempt to do a DIY project when the Lord God says this is a rescue renovation is a catastrophic mistake. And this is the message that the Apostle Paul is pleading with us to understand today and is absolutely just as pertinent to us today as it was these number of years ago when he proclaimed it. I want you to think about this with me uh, today, and you can turn with your, uh, in your bulletin to the worship guide uh, section, the uh, notes section, sermon notes section in your worship guide, I should say, and write down this main idea, if you would like, that I think will help frame our thoughts this morning as we look at these verses. And it's just this, that since we default to do-it-yourself salvation, since we default to do-it-yourself salvation, we must learn to lose all of that so that in Christ we might gain all. Since we default to do-it-yourself salvation, we must learn to lose all so that in Christ we might gain all. It's the message that is being proclaimed in these verses. Now, when we think about this and think about a DIY project, uh, one of our problems, whether we realize it or not, is that we tend to judge things by what's on the surface. You think about a home project, if it appears that there are walls there and they have paint on them, there's a floor right here. Think about it with this room right here. You know, we're in this room and it has walls and has a ceiling. We don't really have any idea what's underneath these, what's behind there, what's up above there, do we? But we tend to judge things. It looks like a sturdy room and structure, so it's got to be good for us. And unfortunately, we kind of tend to judge things spiritually the same way as well. It seems like it's moral and good and religious. It must, therefore, be good and pleasing to the Lord. Apostle Paul is telling us a radical idea in these verses. And that is that it's not just people that run headlong into very obvious sinful things that our culture would label sinful and we would label sinful, but that, in fact, it's a person who trusts in their own righteousness and their own religious practice can be just as far removed from God as a person who's running far down the road in an obvious way. This was Jesus' message across the board as he spoke to the Pharisees and others about the righteousness that could be had in him. And I want you to see it as we look today at three things in this passage. One, a contrast that Paul presents. Two, an example he gives in himself. And three, the gospel that he presents to us and the beauty of it. Let's take a look first at the contrast 
that he presents. And it's one really between true spirituality and false spirituality. And you find it in verses 2 and 3 here where he speaks about these dogs and then reminds us that he and the other believers are the real circumcision, worshipped by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus. He's contrasting two things, a false and a true spirituality. My uh, dad has always had this saying, which some of you have probably heard. He always said, close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. Close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. That's not me up here, I don't think. And it's true. Maybe it is. What do you think, Graham? Crazy day. We all right? Some things in life require precision, don't they? And we live in a culture, especially in the spiritual realm, that with our a view in our culture that there's not necessarily anything that's true or all truths are equally valid, that to be precise, especially in spiritual matters, is not necessary. Now, when it comes to our personal technology, the little gadgets we carry around and hold up to our head, when it comes to medicine and getting medical help, when it comes to our finances, we really want precision, don't we? We've got to have precision in those areas. But for some reason, when it comes to the spiritual realm, and we start talking precisely, it's easy to check out. I don't want you to check out today, either because of my voice or because of sound problems, or certainly because we're getting into some precision here, because the precision here is so important. You all remember the story, just to illustrate this another way, of the Apollo 13 mission. And there was a movie that came out not too many years ago all about it. You had uh, James uh, Lovell, uh, Jack Swickert, and Fred Hayes, I believe, who were on that uh, rocket launched up into space. They were supposed to go land onto the moon, but uh, immediately as they got out of the Earth's atmosphere, something went wrong with the separation of the rocket from its booster. And multiple things happened. The space uh, capsule flew all over the place, and then their batteries were damaged, their oxygen capacity was damaged. And in a hurry to solve all of the various issues that they had just keeping those astronauts alive in the capsule, figuring out the power and the oxygen and the heating, they didn't realize how far off track the capsule had gotten. And it really wasn't that big of a distance, the reason they didn't notice it, because in the whole scheme of things, it doesn't seem like that big of a distance. But it was absolutely crucial that they burn those rocket boosters, which weren't working properly again, to get themselves back on track, because if they didn't get back on track, it's a very narrow window between skipping off the gravitational window of the moon and going off into outer space with no hope of getting back to Earth or crashing straight into the surface of the moon. It's a very sliver, very small sliver that has to be hit and struck to loop back around. And you remember they were able to do that on that mission. So too, with certain spiritual matters, there's precision needed. And this is one of those today. So this contrast then that Paul is presenting is between a, a true spirituality and a false spirituality. And because it's so important, because these people he's addressing are not just uh, mistaken, but there's a lot at stake, he speaks pretty forcefully. He's speaking to a group of people who it appears, and of course Paul was a Jew, 
And every city he went to, the first people he began to address, he went to the synagogue and spoke to Jews. And he wrote about the fact that the gospel should come in its fullness to the Jews first and then to Gentiles. So he is a man who was delighted in reaching out to see uh, Jewish people as well as Gentiles come to see the beauty of the Messiah. And many were. But there was also a group that had entered in somewhat into the Christian community and professed in some way uh, the idea of Christ and their need for Christ, but that was now coming back and saying that you had to add on certain things to Christ in order to be saved. In particular, this idea of circumcision. It was an outward rite. It was a visible thing you could do, a religious thing. It had high moral value as well for the Hebrews. So they are coming from this perspective, and because they are so off track in what seems like a very nuanced thing but is so important for us today as well, Paul speaks to them, and he says, look out for those dogs. Now, that term wasn't any more glamorous back then than it is today, And, by the way, there are two words in the Bible for dog. One is a nice little terrier household pet that's uh, sweet and takes baths and so forth. This is not that word. This is a street dog, a mangy creature living on the street. This was the word that Jews typically used to refer to Gentiles. So Paul, a Jew, is taking that same word and saying, these people that are taking the gospel off track, are in fact dogs. He calls them then evildoers. Sounds like an awfully stern thing just for some people that, I mean, they say they believe in Christ and they're just, you know, saying you need to do a few other things on top of that. I mean, is that that really a substantial deal? And then he goes even further, and I think we get the innuendo here, and calls them mutilators of the flesh. He's saying it doesn't matter what you do outwardly, doesn't matter what people see you do, if spiritually, inwardly, you aren't dependent, aren't resting on Christ's grace, then you're off track. You're liable to spiral out off into the universe or crash into the surface of the moon. In contrast, of course, he says that the church is ultimately the fulfillment of this thing, the this, this, this circumcision, that we worship by the Spirit of God, and then most importantly, he says, we glory in Christ Jesus, that Christ Jesus is our hope that he's our salvation. And guess what? That if we add anything to him, we're actually subtracting from him. So that's this contrast that the Apostle Paul presents here and gets us started on looking at these verses. The second thing we see is this example of the Apostle Paul himself. The Apostle Paul says, uh, look with me at verse 5. He gives this list of his credentials, and I won't read them to save my uh, voice here, but but he's the the top of the class. He's the leading salesman. He's the best looking. He's the most popular. He has the credentials. He has things in this world that he can build his righteousness on. I like what uh, one commentator says, Machir, about the flesh and what this flesh is because it says that he puts no confidence in the flesh. What is that talking about? It says flesh sums up what a person is apart from the grace of Christ. It's not the physical. It's not about our physical being. Human beings as yet unchanged by God's regenerating and redeeming work. It covers man at his highest pinnacle of development and at his lowest point of failure. 
the unsaved sinner as mean and wretched as he can be or as great and lovely as he often is, man without God. That's the issue here. As I said earlier, it may seem strange uh, to us, even who are familiar with the gospel, but what the, the, the Apostle Paul is saying is that it is absolutely just as dangerous to wander away from the Lord in a way that seems obvious and that our culture would identify as gross sin as it is to wander away from the Lord in self-righteousness and feeling like we've secured, or in this case, added to our salvation in some way by being a good person, by paying our taxes, by going to Bible study, by being a member of a church, by giving to a church, whatever thing we take and we add it on to Christ and say this is our righteousness, guess what? We're saying Christ's righteousness is not sufficient for us. I like what G.K. Chesterton says as well as we think about our propensity for self-righteousness and need to realize our need for grace all the time, not just in order to come to Christ, but in order to live in Christ. He says this, follow along with me again, it's I think printed in your worship guide. He says, no man's really any good till he knows how bad he is or might be. Till he's realized exactly how little right he has to all this snobbery, sneering, and talking about criminals as if they were apes in a forest 10,000 miles away. Till he squeezed out of his soul the last drop of the oil of the Pharisees. Till his only hope is to capture one criminal and to keep him under his own hat. Where are you and I today? What things are we trusting in instead of Christ? What areas of our life do we take confidence in the spiritual realm because of our own goodness, because of our own morality, because we go to church, because we go to a Bible study, because we spend some prayer time? And those things are becoming for us not a means of grace for us to grow in Christ, but a substitute righteousness instead of the righteousness of Christ. Let's read Paul's conclusion, and I think we'll see what he has to say about all of this, starting at verse 7. He says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends upon faith. We don't have time this morning to go through all the biblical passages that reiterate this same theme over and over again. They are on virtually every page of the Scriptures. Scriptures through the Old Testament scream for a Messiah, one who would take our place. All of the New Testament declares that Christ is that Messiah. And the Apostle Paul is reminding us here, what is so crucial about this is not just that we might be wrong about our spiritual growth, but that in being wrong, we would miss out on Christ 
Listen to all the things that he says about Christ. He wants to gain Christ. He wants to appreciate the surpassing worth of Christ. He wants to know Christ. He says again he wants to gain Christ. He wants to be found in him. He wants to have faith in Christ. What is he saying? If you substitute anything in the place of Christ for your righteousness, for securing your salvation or advancing your salvation with the Lord, then you're ultimately, it looks like you're gaining something, but you're losing, you're letting go of Christ and his glory and his righteousness, which is our salvation and is our hope today. Seems like math equations can get confusing sometimes for us. I remember my college years having Calc 3. And uh, my Calc 3 class, Renato Ferez. Renato Ferez was the professor. He was not from this country. And you could tell it because at any time you could not understand him, but especially at 8 o'clock in the morning every day when I had Calc 3. And it didn't help that he was talking about Calc 3, which is a complicated subject to begin with. Think about Renato Ferez, because I think sometimes when we think about spiritual matters, they can seem a little bit confusing to us. The math can be difficult to add up. We don't feel like we're following along with the language. Well, here is a simple equation for us today, and I'll leave you with this. The Apostle Paul is telling us, as profound as it may sound, as challenging as it might be to us in our self-righteousness, that Jesus Christ, plus anything else that we think we contribute to our salvation, equals nothing. And that if we would realize that we need Christ and we would count anything that we seek to add on to that as rubbish, as trash, then we can have hope that we'll grow in Christ, that we'll know Christ more, that we'll understand his surpassing worth, and that is a beautiful and valuable thing. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we do thank you for this time uh, that we have had in your word, and we thank you for the gospel of grace that we need so desperately, and we confess to you, Lord, that we are prone in so many ways, to add on to what you have done. Oh, Lord, and by doing so, to actually diminish who you are, what you've done, and our opportunity to grow in you and know you. So, Lord, weed out from us this root of self-righteousness. And, oh, Lord, let us depend simply, solely, exclusively on the work of Christ. Thank you that that is our hope. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.